You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, good morning, church. Joy to open God's Word with you today. And so if you have a Bible, please take that out. We're going to continue in our uh, series that we've been in the summer by looking at the parables of Jesus. And so if you have a Bible, you can open to Luke chapter 8, which is where we find our parable today. Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15. The treat for us in our passage today is we get a parable and then Jesus explains the parable. So that's always helpful. Uh, but Luke chapter 8 is where we're in. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels, and they're called the Synoptic Gospels because many of them uh, parallel the stories that they have. They parallel the parables. And so it can be a challenge sometimes to think, okay, well, which story should we look at? Whose account would be best? And I think the best answer to that question is that they're all best because each gospel writer is trying to communicate a different point, a different perspective, or if they were there, a different eyewitness account. So obviously today we're in Luke's account and we're going to look at how he tells the story of the parable of the sower, parable of the sower, which is sometimes maybe by default uh, called the parable of the soils because we like to think, well, what kind of soil are we? But my goal today is that as we unpack this, we're going to see that it's just as much about the soils as it is about the sower who has made way by sowing a seed of salvation through a savior. So that's the goal today as we look at Luke's account. So what we're going to do is we're going to read this in just a moment. Um, As you're opening to Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 4, as the story begins, what we're going to find is a popular Jesus Jesus has been growing in popularity because he started teaching and people are interested. They want to hear more teaching. He's performing miracles and so people are gathering because they're wondering, is he going to do something else or I want to be there if he does something else? And so in the first verses, it's going to tell us that people are coming to get a glimpse of this Jesus. They want to hear for themselves. They want to see. And so I'm going to read verses 4 through 8 as we begin our story. And then we're going to unpack this a little bit into a couple different sections. But hear now the word of God. Verse 4. And when a crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray. Father God, today we just submit ourselves to your word. As we have just read Jesus' words, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. God, we just give ourselves to your word. We want to hear from you. We want to truly hear from you. And so God, we are asking right now that you would move in our midst, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would allow this to find good soil in our lives as we listen. God, I'd even pray right now, remove all distractions. Allow our focus to be on you. Allow you to be exalted in this place because, God, we want to hear from you. That is why our Bibles are open. That's why we want to hear this. So, Jesus, move in this place. Do what only you can do and do it for your glory. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So in these first few verses, 
we find out that crowds are seeking Jesus. Uh, Jesus is gathering with the people and then he teaches them another parable. And as I mentioned, Jesus has already taught a couple parables. He will teach a number of parables more. It was the new way of teaching where he was helping connect and relate with people in these relevant teaching concepts. Now in Matthew and Mark, it tells us that as Jesus gathers with the crowds in these first few verses, again, this wasn't Luke's perspective, but as Matthew and Mark tell it, Jesus comes to the shore and he gets in one of Peter's empty fishing boats and he puts himself out from shore a little bit so that the crowds listening, gathering around can hear him. I want to show you a picture of where people believe that this happened in our story today. It's something that is referred to as called Sower's Cove or the Bay of Parables. You can see this little bay right here right on the Sea of Galilee, where the crowds would have come down, right down to the shore there. They would have sat down, and it tells us that Jesus then gets in a boat, puts out a little bit from shore, and there's this natural amphitheater. People can listen quite easily to Jesus' teaching. That's the story setting for us today, where Jesus then begins to talk about the parable of the sower, and he begins to unpack a little bit what this means. So as we can see in these verses... Verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, and the beginning of verse 8 is the description of, of the parable. But look now at the end of verse 8, because as the scenario unfolds, Jesus then wraps up his parable with an interesting uh, exhortation to people. And he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now just imagine you're there that day. Imagine you're in the crowds, you've gathered, it's a beautiful sunny day, there's a lot of people, and you come and you find your seat, and it's a busy place, and uh, you're there, and you're trying to focus as Jesus begins teaching, as the word is proclaimed, and, and you're kind of maybe distracted because someone over here is trying to rustling, trying to find a seat. And then someone over here beside you is sneezing and maybe you're wondering, oh, do they have a cold or am I going to catch anything? And that person over there uh, coughs and you wonder the same thing. And, and that person back there is trying to keep their kids occupied and, and their attention. And that child over there starts crying. And then the parents on the side are looking for their codes on the side screens. Now I'm describing Sunday morning right here. But then Jesus says to you in the crowds there that day, as you are already trying to listen amongst all the people, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, as one commentator puts it, almost everyone has ears. So why then would be Jesus calling them to listen in a situation that they were already leaning and pressing in and trying to hear the words coming from his mouth? I would suggest to us today that as Jesus said this, what he's saying to us is it is possible for you to hear or to listen, but not to truly press in and comprehend. Maybe for you, like one of the people in the crowds there, you've been traveling around and you've been hearing and hearing and hearing him teach and watching or seeing him do miracles, but you aren't truly seeing Jesus for who he is. You've grown up in the church and you've heard stories before and you know the answers to those questions. And Jesus says to you at the end of this parable, let he who, is, who has ears truly hear. And so Jesus gives this exhortation for us. And church, as we walk through the explanation of the parable, I want us to hear three things from the story today. Three different parts of the section of this parable as we've looked at the first passage, three things. And so point number one, I want us to hear that the word has come. Hear today, listen now, that the word has come. I mean, imagine that 
that person in the Middle Ages who comes to the town square and stands up in the middle, maybe on a soapbox, and, and says, hear ye, hear ye. Church, hear that the word has come. And Jesus begins to unpack what this is like. You know, so much of his parables was just trying to help people understand in a relevant way something from their life where they would understand one major truth. And so Jesus gives the parable and people listening would have heard that parable and they would have collectively said, I know what Jesus is trying to teach us in this story, but what it means to me is something very different. And the person beside you today is hearing the parable of the sower and they too are hearing maybe something very different. But I want us to hear this, that the sower has come. So Jesus begins to explain this. And just to make sure that we're all starting from the same starting place before we get into application today, I want to show you what is going on in our story. The sower, I might say the main character, is what we know as the son of man. Matthew, at the end of his account, he describes this. He says, the sower is the son of man, who is Jesus The next part of the story we have to all agree on, the seed, as it's going to tell us in Luke a couple verses later, is the word, which is going to allude to salvation. So the sower is saying, the salvation has come to the world. The Son of Man has made a way for salvation, and the soil is the hearers. It's going to be us. It's going to be the challenge for us to think and, and listen and truly hear to who this Jesus is and whether or not we receive the word of salvation. So that's the starting place that we come from in our parable today. And as we continue on in Jesus' explanation, this is where the parable means something different for everyone. And so as Jesus was teaching parables, much of the heart of his ministry then was to help people understand that he, as the son of man, was coming into the world to usher in God's kingdom. It was a kingdom that was long awaited People wondered for years, has God forgotten about this promise? He said a Messiah, a Savior would come, and Jesus now enters the scene, and he begins to teach and perform miracles so as to help people see him for who he was. He says, I am the Son of Man. I am the one who has come and was long awaited and expected. And as Matthew says, Jesus, as the Son of Man, is sowing seeds, and the seed is the word of salvation. And so then Jesus begins to teach this parable. Now let's go back into the story and imagine that we're there that day and Jesus in this boat has begun teaching this parable and we're listening and we're beginning to connect the dots and understand that this man right before us right now is claiming to be the son of God, the son of man, the sower who has sown seeds throughout the world for salvation and begin to think about this concept. We understand that the son of man, this is the one who's come down from heaven, the one who was long prophesied about. This son of man is the one who was born a miraculous birth of the Virgin Mary and was first witnesses by some of the lowliest of all of our society. This is the son of man that was raised and lived as a young boy and then became a man and and he lived a perfect life. It was a son of man who was tempted in every way that we are, but was yet without sin. This is the son of man that although undeserving of death, the penalty for our sin is a son of man who gave himself as a substitute in our place. This Jesus, the son of man, is the one who was crucified and was buried in a tomb, but on the third day, 
conquering over sin and death, fully accepted by God the Father as a payment for our sin that was hung on a cross. He rose victoriously. And this son of man then appeared first to the women at the tomb, proving that he had truly come back to life. He then appeared to his apostles and other disciples, proving that it really was true. This son of man on the 40th day arose and ascended back to his throne to be seated at the right hand of God the Father on high. And this son of man promised that one day in the new heavens and new earth, after he returns to gather all those who had faith and love in him, would return to the new heavens, new earth, where all of his people would enjoy a new heavens and eternity forever. Church, this son of man who is the sower in our story stands before the people that day and says, he who has ears to hear, would you truly listen? So who will hear today? Who will hear today God's call in your life to see Jesus for who he really is? Because as Jesus then says, do not harden your hearts, but he who has ears to hear, let them hear. Let them see me for who I am. But Jesus knows that not everyone in our story today is going to respond to this message. He knows that not everyone here today will see Jesus and want to accept the gospel good news in their life, that God has come for you and taken your place. And so he begins to explain what that is like in the second part of our passage. Now, in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, we can build an understanding that as we move into verse 9 of our passage today, it happens later on. Jesus teaches this parable, and then some think he moved on to other teachings or maybe taught a different parable. But in Matthew, it says later on, some of Jesus' disciples come to him. And Mark adds and says later on, in private, Jesus' disciples ask him a question. And in Luke, it shows us right here in verse 9 and 10 that his disciples are wondering, why are you teaching in parables? In fact, can you tell us what this parable means? And so Jesus then begins to unpack that for them. And I want us to read the next part of our passage in verses 9 through 14. So hear now the word of God. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. And for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. So Jesus' disciples come to him and they ask him this question, please, Jesus, tell us what this means. Tell us why you're teaching like this. Tell us why some people are confused. Now, if you're reading the dad's translation Bible, maybe their question would look something like this on the screen. They would say, so, what does this mean? Just a little test to see who's really listening today. His disciples want to know, so what does this mean, Jesus? Please explain this parable to us. 
And so Jesus, Jesus then ends, ends up in the next few verses explaining to them uh, the answer to their question. And he begins by saying to you, disciples, closest followers of me, you have been made known the secrets of the kingdom of God because you have surrendered your life to follow me. You believe me. You've accepted me. You've given your life to come and to lay it all down. But some will not respond that way. And so when Jesus moves into this second section, he's going to quote a passage in the Old Testament. And so that leads us into point number two today, church, to hear that the word must be received. Hear that the word must be received. And so Jesus then goes into these verses and explains to them this passage from Isaiah 6, 9, and 10. Maybe in your Bible there's a footnote and referencing that passage, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They quote this in different ways. But Jesus' response to them is a quote from the Old Testament that God's people Israel used regularly to be able to remind themselves that there would be Jews who would reject the gospel of Jesus. In fact, the writer of our gospel, Luke, also wrote uh, the book of Acts. And at the end of the book of Acts, uh, Luke includes again this passage reminding Christians and the early church that this is the reason why Jews are rejecting the gospel as Paul in Rome is preaching to them. Because there would be some who would reject the good news of Jesus Christ. And so in a way, Jesus has explained to his disciples that the parables are confusing to them because they have rejected seeing and hearing me for who I really am. But you disciples do see me. You have believed me. You are following me with your lives. And so you are beginning to understand more and more. So Jesus explains to them this reason, and then he goes into some application of, here's what I mean by those who would not receive the word of salvation into their lives. And I want us to look now through verses 11 to 14 of how Jesus begins to unpack this. And we're going to put them as a summary on the screen here, just the four different types of soil, and we're going to leave it up for a few moments as we kind of walk through those. Uh, But this is the application of how now Jesus is going to unpack that. So in the parable, it comes up in verse 5, but Jesus explains it again in verses 11 and 12. And we're going to call this first one the hardened heart. The hardened heart. It's the heart where seeds fall onto hard or trampled soil. And a result of that will come. This is the heart that outright says there's no room to accept the message of the gospel in my life. This is the heart that is hard to the gospel of Jesus And therefore, as Jesus explains, because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour and to destroy the seeds of this gospel as it's proclaimed to them, as they hear it in their lives, as you hear it in the parable today, will be seeds of the gospel that will be snatched away and devoured. Church, we must be reminded that only God takes the seed and penetrates the hard heart to allow for salvation to take place. Only God can do that. That is a miraculous happening in our lives when someone says, I give my life to Jesus because we are prone to wander, because all have gone astray. And so we must pray then for the friend or the family member for God to do this in their lives, to awaken the seed of salvation. Because just as the prophet Ezekiel wrote about God's people as God gave him this message, God said to this to his people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So God says to his people how I am going to do this in you. And this is why Paul writes to the church in Corinth where they talk about watering and and preaching the gospel, planting seeds as well in partnership with what Jesus was doing here. Paul says, but God gives the growth. Only God gives the growth in salvation in our lives. And so we must remember this. So therefore follower of Christ, if you come to that friend or that family member that you have been witnessing to and you've been praying for, be continually reminded today that that is a work that God alone can do. And what that person doesn't need is more strategy or crafting on your part, more wit or cleverness. What that person needs is for God, the God of the harvest, to come in and take the seeds that you've been planting and to produce a fruit or a harvest in that person. So my encouragement to you today in light of that is to continue praying to the God of the harvest that he would bring salvation. But that's not the only heart that Jesus refers to. As the passage continues in verse 6, we hear about seeds that fall on rocky soil. And in verse 13, Jesus explains that we're going to call this the superficial heart. The superficial hearts are the seeds that fall on rocky soil. This is the heart that initially receives the gospel of salvation. And then Luke says in our passage, they even receive the gospel salvation with joy. They're excited about it. They don't need to be forced into it. But when trials and testing come, it withers. We see this in the end of verse 13. This is the heart that maybe is excited about all things Christ, maybe because they were led into a false presentation of what it means to follow Christ, false promises, And after seasons, they begin to fall away and choose other things in their lives. You know, near our our place where we live, uh, we live near sod farms. Now, last service, it became aware to me that some people don't know what a sod farm is. It it doesn't have a barn. It doesn't have a fence because it's not animals, but they grow grass. (laughs) If ever you buy sod, it's called a sod farm. And they have these large farms of beautiful grass. And I love myself a good sod farm. In the springtime or when it's been watered well, you drive by a sod farm, it is so green and so level and looks so beautiful. Now, if you go to a sod farm and you cut and buy a piece or a roll of sod and you bring it home and you roll it out and you place it on your driveway, you might decide, I'm going to water this piece of sod for a few days and you're noticing it looks green. Maybe it's even growing. Maybe you're even led to the question, should I cut this piece of sod? It's looking so nice. I can promise you that that piece of sod on your driveway after about a week is going to start drying. It's going to start browning. It's going to start withering. And just like this soil that Jesus is comparing to, that piece of sod has no root down below. And so as we look at what this soil is like, this, this isn't as though seeds are falling just on rocks everywhere. That's not what Luke means in his story. He's, he's telling us and saying, this is like thin topsoil, where underneath is thick bedrock. And so although the seeds get planted and they maybe sprout after a period of time with no, no moisture and no vitamins in the soil, they will just wither away. So Jesus says, this is the heart of someone who has no root with the gospel. Or as Luke says, they lack moisture. Now, there is great danger in our Christian culture today as well related to this that gives way or makes way even to this sort of easy believism. 
It might sound something like, well, all you have to do is just pray this prayer, uh, short, superficial, and then you will be saved by that prayer. It's also a culture that says, you know, the Christian life, it will make your life easy. It will make you wealthy. It will make you healthy. It's the presentation of the gospel that doesn't fully expect prospective believers to fully lay down everything in their life. Their deepest dreams, their struggles, their identity, their hopes and dreams for their life, everything needs to be laid at the foot of the cross. But it's also the, the, the world today, maybe the church or maybe the church movement even, that's all about just tallying decisions and having numbers. This is how many people are getting saved. This is how many baptisms we had. But they're all done in the name of rocky soil. And so Jesus says, give it time, give it a little testing, and that soil will be exposed. George Whitfield was used powerfully in the first Great Awakening. He was a powerful preacher, many, just like our story today, thousands would gather, crowds, they wanted to hear him preach. Many were affected and moved by his message of evangelism to preach the gospel. And after a preaching of the gospel, people would often ask Whitfield and say, how many people were saved at your meeting? And he would often respond by saying, we'll see in a few years. The third type of soil that seeds might fall into in our passage today, first comes up in verse 7, and then Jesus explains it here in verse 14, is what we call the divided heart. Or it's the heart that falls amongst the thorns, and it's later choked by the weeds. This is the heart that's tossed to and fro by the cares of the world. It's the heart that seems to receive the gospel in principle. Maybe it even matures enough through seasons, but we recognize, as it says in verse 14, it's in direct competition with the cares of the world. So in the springtime at my place in our backyard, I love gardening. And so for me, I get out in the spring and I'm excited to start thinking about the vegetable garden and what do we want to plant and, and more so what are our kids going to eat and make it be useful in that way. And so we go to the garden and we start thinking about these things. But in the backyard of the spring, what happens also in our backyard is that all of the maple trees decide to drop their maple keys everywhere in the backyard. And so I plant the vegetable seeds and go away for a few weeks and then we come and we look in the garden we can see these little sprouts that are taking place vegetable sprouts. And beside them everywhere are little maple keys that are sprouting into little saplings of what will hopefully one day become maple trees. But what I do is I, I leave the vegetables for a little while to establish a root system because I don't want to pull them out too early or wreck them. That's a parable for another day. Uh, but we let the saplings grow and then I got to come to the garden and every single maple key needs to come out it's like I go on this hunt for maple keys because what happens is the vegetable and the maple key will compete with each other for sunlight, for moisture, for vitamins in the soil. And if I don't pull one of them out, they will compete and one will win in the end and it's likely going to be the tallest and the strongest and the one that will provide future maple keys. So Jesus is alluding to this type of soil in our lives saying there will be seeds that fall and they will find and take root, and seasons will come through in their life. But ultimately, the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life will choke them out. Perhaps this is the heart of the person who 
appears to commit to Christ. Maybe they said a quick prayer at a young age or they grew up in the church, the church of their parents' faith. Maybe they even went to church nominally a couple times a year throughout their life, Christmas or Easter, just because it made them feel good or it checked a box. But Jesus says this type of soil, as the seasons go by, will never produce fruit. And so that person in their life needs to recognize that because there's a lack of maturity of growing deep and being fed and intentionally nourishing what the salvation has done, what their salvation has done in them is the reason why they are apathetically coasting through life. So maybe just think about your life for a moment and just look inwardly and say, where is God doing a work in me? maybe to make this just really practical, I think the life of a follower of Jesus that isn't bearing fruit should be listening to this type of soil and saying, God, I'm worried that there is no fruit because this parable is telling me that there should be fruit if the salvation has taken root. You know, there's an example in the New Testament of this type of a life. It's a man by the name of Demas. Paul wrote to the church in Colossae in chapter 4. He talks about Luke, the writer of our gospel, says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And then Philemon, verse 24, uh, it's referred, Demas is referred to as a fellow worker in the gospel. So he's doing good things. He's a part of mission trips. He's attending this and going there. But look what Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is the life of someone who appeared to take root, but through seasons, there didn't, in fact, end up being any fruit. Maybe they were choked out by the cares of this world and things of this life were too enticing for them. So church, we need to see that in these first three soils, there is great danger for us in thinking that maybe we've heard the gospel and then everything's good. There's great danger for us in our lives to recognize that this first seed in soil never in fact ever took root. It was just rejected from the start. And the second seed or soil was one that quickly took root and, and shot up a little bit and we thought there was good things. It was received with joy, but then it withered away. And the third one even went through seasons and maybe showed signs of maturity, but then it tells us that it was choked out and the fruit did not mature. So would this not be our hearts today? Would this not be your heart today if you are exploring or wondering who Jesus is? Would your heart be the one that we are about to talk about? Would we recognize, church, that every time we come to church on a weekend, as we hear the word proclaimed, as we open our Bibles in our quiet times, when we sit and we spend time with God, that the devil is seeking to distract you and deter you and prevent you from meeting with the sower, your savior in your life. In fact, so powerful is this concept. I want to share with you John Piper's quote about what the devil is doing on a regular basis. It says, Satan works overtime to keep people from giving serious attention to the word of God. 
He may keep you up late Saturday night so that you can't stay awake during the sermon or Sunday school. He may put a dozen different distractions around you in the service to take your mind away from the message. He may send thoughts into your mind about tomorrow's meeting with your supervisor. If he can only distract you so that the sounds coming out of the preacher's mouth go in one ear and out the other, he will have successfully taken away the word of God and made it ineffectual for you. Inattention is his game. That changes how we approach God's word. That changes the intention we need to find in our lives to implant the word of God in our hearts. Because as we come to this fourth soil now, what we are promised and what we need to see is that a good seed, finding good soil, will always produce good fruit. Always. And it's going to be continuous. So that takes us to our final verse here and our third point today. Here, here, that the received word bears fruit. The received word in your life will bear fruit in verse 15. This is the last heart that we're going to call the believing heart. It's the seed that falls in good soil. So it comes up in verse 8 in our parable and then later now in the explanation in verse 15. There's a few things to note about this type of soil or heart. And in Matthew and Mark, they tell us specifically the type of fruit that comes from this type of soil. They both mention 30 times fold, 60 times, 100 times. In our passage, Luke says, yeah, there will be a hundredfold yield of this type of harvest. But what we see here in Luke's gospel, he's more focused in, there's a little nuance where there's an emphasis on the type of protection or care that the believer will do to guard the deposit that's been given to them. And so as we think about this, it's not so much about looking at the person beside you or other people in your life and thinking, oh, how much fruit are they bearing and how much fruit am I bearing and oh, I wish I could bear fruit like that. It's about thinking in your own life, what are you doing to yield and produce a fruit in how God will use you? And so we're going to look at a couple of things here from this verse in verse 15. First of all, we have to understand that this is the life or the soil that has received the word. It's believing it. I see the son of man as the sower who's brought salvation to the world. He's made it available to me. I receive that into my life. That's the good soil. And secondly, as Luke emphasizes here, it's the life after hearing and receiving the word. It's the life that holds it fast. It's the life that says, like the writer or the author of Hebrews, let us hold fast or unwaveringly or unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. And through seasons, we are called to do this. It's also the life of the soil that is honest and good and pure. So maybe like the psalmist says, it's the life who says, God, would you continually create in me a clean and a pure heart? God, would you renew a right spirit within me? God, would you cleanse my hands, cause them to be pure and to be honest before you? This is the heart that is also, as it says in the last few words of this verse, this is the heart that is patient for the work that God will do in you. Not rushing to an end result, not rushing just for the works or the results at the end of it, but say, God, if it means spending times or seasons where you're working on me so that the fruit at the end of this is worthwhile and honoring and glorifying to you, then God, I want that. So follower of Jesus, in light of this soil, 
Again, I ask you today, where is God working to bear fruit in your life? Maybe just a couple quick thoughts of the person you used to be when God saved you. How is God bearing fruit in your life? Maybe it's 30-fold. And maybe you're hearing a call today and a conviction to say, wow, God, I would love for my life to bear a hundredfold fruit for you. Maybe that's what God's leading you to in this season. But maybe you're here today and you've never really heard much of Jesus before. What you hear in our passage is an exhortation to listen truly and well to Jesus. That as the sower, the son of man for all the world, Jesus came down into this world, leaving his throne to go to a cross, to go to a tomb, to go back to heaven because he said, I will make a way of salvation for you because I love you because you can never make that way on your own. Today, Jesus is calling you to listen and to say, receive my word of salvation in your life. Be the good soil that I would bear fruit in your life. Maybe followers of Christ here today are just reminded that Jesus has made a way for your salvation. This was not earned by you. It's not because you tended your own soil. It's because God made a way of salvation. You truly heard and you truly saw him for who he is. And you received that Christ, that son of man, into your life because he was your hope. And it's because of him he's bearing fruit. It's because of him he will continue to bear fruit in your life for his glory. So as we close, I want to pray for us today in light of maybe how these seeds are falling. And so join me as we pray. Father God, we just stop and we just acknowledge the beautiful truth that you have made a way. Thank you, Jesus, that you loved the world so much that you came down and you gave yourself that whoever would believe in you would have and receive salvation. Jesus, that message has never changed. It's been the hope of the nations for centuries. And so God, we pray that today the seed that has been planted in the gospel of Jesus would bear fruit in some lives. Maybe the person who's grown up in church all their life, they've heard all those answers. God, today you're moving in them saying, you can't just hear, but you need to truly listen. God, would they receive Christ? God, maybe some here today have never heard the name of Jesus that's been so new to them. Maybe they heard it from a coworker or a friend or a family member and they're interested and they're listening and they're pressing in just like the crowds that day. They're hearing the parable. God, give good soil in their life that they would receive the gospel of Jesus today through faith. God, for many of us here who have received the word in our lives, who are bearing fruit for you, God, I just pray on our behalf as a church, would you continue to bear fruit in them? God, would this be a season that you use them and this church and ministries and leaders in our church where, God, we would see a hundredfold work of you, that lives would be changed, that people would be drawn to Christ, baptism tanks full, testifying that God is alive and God has changed my life. So, God, today we are grateful that you've made a way. 
We're grateful that it's all about you. We are called to receive the word. So God, would you help us hear? Help us hear the hope that you've provided to us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.